the family meal, which is what I've called this morning a family meal, because we are, we are more than just a collection of people in the same room, aren't we? We are far more than that. We don't just represent more than that. We are more than that. That's not what church is, just a bunch of people in the same room. Church is far more than that. Who likes The Simpsons? The Simpsons. Oh, both of you. All three. <laughs> the, the Mad Yellow Family, the cartoon. I'm sure you know who The Simpsons are. There is an episode called Heaven and Hell, where Homer Simpson, the dad of the family, he turns into a right old whinge bucket and decides he doesn't want to go to church with the family anymore. Marge is getting all the kids into the car and he's like, I don't want to go to church. And she's like, why not? He goes, it's too cold outside. And you see the blizzard outside and the bear raiding the bins. And she goes, well, that's not much of an excuse. And he goes, my, my church trousers are too itchy. And then he puts them on and they split. I think he does it on purpose. And then this is what Homer says. He says, what's the big deal about going to some building every Sunday? Isn't God everywhere? And don't you think the Almighty has got better things to worry about than where one little guy spends one measly hour of his week? Well, the rea reality is, this isn't about going to church. This isn't about just turning up somewhere for one measly hour a week. This is about being church, isn't it? Gathering together as God's family is a sacred thing as part of of his call upon our lives. And if you have been saved by Jesus, if you've accepted him as your saviour and your Lord through his work on the cross and not your own, you are part of his family. We are his family. Now, we all might be radically different to one another, and we are, even between us at Beacon Church. We've got a large number of te teachers, haven't we? A large contingent of teachers. But we also have a retired American police officer. We have a Brazilian who loves to bake. We, we have people who speak French and people who speak Spanish and other languages. We have quilters and small business owners. We have mad football fans and people who couldn't think of anything worse and would rather watch anything else. And we have artists and musicians and poets and gardeners and movie lovers. Some of us are loud. Some of us are quiet. We are all, even just in Beacon Church alone, we are radically different to one another. But in Jesus... We're family. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To all who did receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's you and that's me. That's us. We are our family's kids. And so just before um, we start looking at communion itself, it's good to reflect on the fact that we are family in Christ. So I just want to read a reflection that helps us focus on this, and then just pray a prayer that's adapted from Psalm 133 and then Romans 15. Just might, might be helpful, maybe, if you just close your eyes, just listen to these words I say. We are not once-a-week friends. We are the family of God. We are not a cosy club. We are the body of Christ. We are not just strangers meeting. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are not here by accident. Our Father has called us to worship. We are not just filling up an hour. Jesus wants, to know, uh, wants us to know him better. We are not just going through the motions. The Holy Spirit has special things to say to us. 
to come. Draw near to our God and God will draw near to us. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let us worship the Lord in one body and one voice. Christ, the one who was and is and is to come, welcomes you to this place. As one body, with one voice, we honour and glorify the giver of wisdom, counsel, knowledge and joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to talk about communion before we actually participate in it together. Um, But first of all, before we hear from the Bible, I just want to tax your brains, and there is a point to this as well, it's not just for fun, but we're going to play a little game of guess the object. An image is going to come on the screen, there's going to be four of these images, and they're going to be obscured, and gradually they'll be revealed a little bit more, and we're going to see if you can guess what the object is. Now, no shouting out, because then that's the equivalent of singing anyway, so avoid shouting out, but also we don't want to spoil it for other people. Keep it to yourself and see if you can guess what the object might be. So we're in the first image up, please, Paul. Oh, what can that be? What do you think it might be? You might have different ideas and answers in your head. Give you a moment. Okay, let's have the next one. A bit more revealed. Ah, a bit more of a clue there. What can they be? And the final image, please, Paul. They are, of course, birthday candles. Put your hand up in the air if you got it right. Two-thirds of you, not bad, not bad. Some of you might be thinking, I forgot to bring my glasses. Um, okay, next image, please, Paul. What can that be? There is a giveaway in there. Some of you might start, some of you might get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next one, please, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Ah, if he's got it now. Yeah, final image, please, Paul. It is, of course, that magnificent, is incredible display of poppies, wasn't it, at the Tower of London in 2018 to commemorate the centenary of the end of the First World War. My parents have got one of those poppies. They're quite, they're quite something. Okay, next one, please, Paul. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I just heard someone whisper who might have got it right. Next one, please, Paul. Oh. Oh, yeah, who's salivating now? Okay, final image. They are, of course, hot cross buns. Who got it right? Yeah, yeah, we're thinking about stomachs. Okay, and the final one might be a bit more tricky. Someone might get it. Okay. Oh, curious. What can that be? Okay, next one, please, Paul. Can anybody see what might be hidden behind all that? All the lay the layer tails might have got it right. I think the the Normans might have got it right as well. Okay, final image. It is a Christingle to help us remember. What happens at Christmas? Some of your children might have made that at school or in trailblazers and so on in the past. There is a theme to all of these four. We had birthday candles, we had the poppies, we had the uh, hot cross buns, and we had this Christingle. Thank you, Paul. There is something that links all of them. They are symbols, they are items that help us remember. So when we come together to celebrate a birthday, it's remembering and celebrating someone's birth. So when everyone in the country is wearing a poppy, it helps us remember. There's a reason why, and it helps us remember people who have laid down their lives to give us freedom. 
These things all help us remember something that is important to all of us. And in remembering it together, it brings us closer together as a community as well. We're sharing a profound connection that brings togetherness. Now, I constantly need reminding (laughs) of everything. (laughs) I've got post-it notes everywhere. I'm writing on my hand. My phone and my computer keep buzzing me at different times. I know I need three notifications that something's happening five minutes before, an hour before, and three hours before. So just in the run-up, I don't forget. I know what I'm like. Who's walked in a room and had no idea why you're there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens more as you get older, doesn't it? I know. Or, or sometimes I just ask someone, if they say, don't forget such and such next week, okay, remind me nearer the time. I ask them to be my reminder because I know what I'm like. Surrendous. We can all easily forget things at different times, can't we? We all need help to remember. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows what we're like, and he's very gracious. And he's commanded us to relive his moment on the cross over and over again as a reminder of what he has done and is therefore still doing in us and through us. How? Through what we call communion, through the breaking of bread. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he led his disciples in a moment of togetherness at the table that was to then, he says, to be repeated throughout history because he knows we need reminding. We're just going to watch that story. There's a run-up and then the actual moment. We're going to watch a cartoon that tells the story of Jesus talking to his disciples about exactly this. Thanks, Paul. To the breaking of bread. There's a reason why they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread amongst all those other things, because it's a good, helpful reminder. It's a command from the Lord, and it's because it reminds us. Because the more we keep our minds on the cross, the more we remember a number of things. Here's just three, for example. The, The list is endless. But the more we keep our minds on the cross, the more we remember that we are not all that, but he is gives us humility, doesn't it? We remember what he's done for us. The more we keep our minds on the cross, the more we remember that when we fall, and we do, we're we're human, aren't we? The more we keep our minds on the cross, the more we recognize that there is immediate mercy and forgiveness already available in his work that happened 2,000 years ago. It's there immediately. It gives us release and freedom. And thirdly, the more we keep our minds on the cross, the more we remember that we have wonderful news to proclaim to those who are still missing out and don't know him yet. Keeping our eyes fixed on the cross regularly reminds us and brings us humility, brings us release and brings us motivation. It's life-giving, isn't it? This is not just a dutiful act. It's not just a thing we do. So I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. This is where Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth. And he says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 Move my glasses. For uh, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That final line is very, very specific, isn't it? In doing this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are, we are a people who are called 
to do just that, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're called to be a people who clearly point to Jesus, who don't just tell the world, God loves you. Those three words, while they're true, they're quite vague, don't they? Whereas to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes is very specific. To say to people, God loves you, and there's not anything wrong in saying it, but we need to be explicit in who we're talking about and what that love looks like. The word God can mean any number of things to people who are listening. People talk about the universe. They, they pray to the universe, or they're thankful to the universe, or, or they worship any other God that might exist in other religions and faiths. Their understanding of you saying to them, God loves you, their understanding of God might be about some almighty who doesn't require justice and just smiles serenely and just lets you get on with it. Someone who is distant and doesn't care too much about what we do. Or maybe they think this is someone who's actually worth avoiding because he's fickle or untrustworthy. He might love me at the moment, but other times he won't. The word God can mean very different things to different people, can't it? But also the word love can mean any number of different things to different people. Even David talked about it last week. Just even there, is di- there are literally different types of love. There's, there's affection and there's brotherly love and there's romantic love and, and so on. But there are also different under- misunderstandings of ultimate love. What does ultimate love look like? Many people think that to be loving is to turn a blind eye to behaviours that are actually damaging to the individual or to others. You hear some people say, if you love me, accept me just the way I am. So, well, yeah, but <laughs> I want you to grow. I want you to, to, to flourish as a human being rather than just, if I really love you, I might have to say difficult things to you, isn't it? That's the ultimate love. But it's even more than that as well. To love someone is to want the best for them and be willing to give of yourself to help see that happen, which is very different. What's been your understanding of love in the past or even now? Are you still trying to get your head around that? Because God's ultimate love is exactly that. He wants the best for us, and in order to do so, he's willing to give of himself to ensure it happens. That's what Jesus has done. God's ultimate love, Jesus' ultimate love, is sacrificial and transformative. And his love, if we allow it, is one that does not leave us just where we are, but changes us inside out and takes us to where we can be in him. And so people, need, they need to know that they are loved by a God who is unique, who is willing, uh, who is unlike anything they've ever imagined, but also has stepped into their shoes already in order to bring them home, including by giving of himself in the process. And so to define what we mean by saying God loves you, it's helpful to remember that we are a people who are called to point to Jesus in the things we say and the way we live in our lives. Even saying God loves you, a helpful tip, just say Jesus loves you. Suddenly starts narrowing it down very specifically to someone who has done something. Still three words, isn't it? But we are called to be people who proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is what communion also does as well. It trumpets what Jesus has done for us while also remembering he's alive. Amen. Communion is not... Isn't, isn't a funeral wake where we only remember his death. It's also a celebration where we remember he rose again and he is coming back. He's coming back. So communion is intricately tied into what it means to be God's people, living Jesus' transformative power out loud. For example, just one example, and then we'll come to sharing the communion itself. Just the phrase to bear God's name in vain ties into this completely. 
Because to bear God's name in vain is not just about using his name as a swear word. <laughs> it's not. It's far more wide-reaching in its scope. Unfortunately, over the years, even recent decades, the church has made a big thing about bearing God's name in vain. It's about blasphemers. It's about using oh God as a, as a swear word. It's so much more than that. Bearing God's name in vain is about how we carry the weight, the holy weight of his name as his people as we carry out our everyday lives. When we speak out an unrighteous anger, when we ignore the poor, ignore the vulnerable, when we gossip and so on, in those moments we are bearing his name in vain because we are his family and we carry the family surname. We carry his name. It's like I shared from John chapter 1 earlier. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his family. We now belong to another with a capital A. And we now bear our father's name. And so every inch of our lives are meant to be representative of what he has done for us and is doing. And there is a responsibility on us to learn how to live lives that match up to that. Which is impossible, humanly speaking. Only one person ever managed that. But with his help, with Jesus' help, we can. And so here, in this passage, Paul is saying that even as we spend a few moments in specific remembrance of what Jesus has done upon that cross, in bridging that chasm of sin between holy God and lowly man, we are proclaiming a God who has put his love into action by dying for mankind. That is ultimate love. And so as we eat the bread... And drink the wine, that is a proclamation. That is us saying, here is where we find healing and mercy. Here is where we find hope and a home. And that's why the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It's a family meal, not just with each other, but with him. So we're going to do that in just a moment. And Paul, rightly so, because in light of all that, Paul then continues in the same passage to talk about examining yourself. To do this soberly, are we in true unity together? Is there someone I need to speak to? Is there someone I need to make peace with? This is for anyone. This is not just for anyone. This is for anyone who professes Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If you're a member of the family, and if you don't know him this way, then just feel free to observe and to listen to what we do in a moment. But even then, we believers, we can't do this flippantly. This is still a sober, it's a joyful, but still a sober thing. We need to recognize this as an act of unity around our Father's table. Gathering at the table is, while joyful, also serious, because it's about unity. It's about family. It's like when we duns at home, when we don't have regular family meals at the table together, peace dissipates. You can, you can see the difference. You can feel the difference in the home. We, we spot it. It's very easy to spot the difference very quickly. The more we do eat together, the more... There is peace in the home. It's radically different. Eating together brings unity. It's a sharing of life. And so with this family meal right now, this is a recognition. This is about sharing of life. And we're doing this in unity. Is there someone I need to speak to? There's a place to examine, isn't there? And do I need to speak to Father about where I'm at right now? Do I need to hold a short account with him? So as Jesus' family, let's embrace this moment as we come to his table. Let's examine ourselves. Let's seek forgiveness where appropriate and let's enjoy unity together in him as we look to what makes it all possible in the first place, the cross. If we just have the, the next image up on the screen, please, Paul. Let me just explain these little uh, individual 
bread and wine cups. Um, you've got a wafer in the top, and you've got the wine, obviously, in the bottom. There are two little flaps. There's the big plastic flap. We'll open up to release the wine in a minute. Don't do that yet. Oh, <laughs> just, to save, just to save you spilling it. We've got spares. But just above that plastic flap, there's a, there's a little film, of thin film of plastic. You can peel back to release the wafer, if that makes sense. If you have trouble, some people might find it difficult with your fingers, um, then if you haven't got someone next to you, you can help, then wave, and we'll find a way of helping you from two meters away. <laughs> but we can do that. Everyone's all right. So if you can release the wafer, and then we'll do the wine in a minute. Just saves you dropping it everywhere. Okay. I'm just going to pray, and we're going to eat the bread, drink the wine, and then I'm gonna straight after, I'm just going to play a song, and if we just sit and listen to the song, the words aren't going to come up on the screen because that tempts us to, to start singing, but it helps us just to reflect and contemplate on the words while the song plays, and then we'll come to an end. So if you want to get your wafer out, it's a long time since I've had one of these, can't remember what they taste like. Let me just pray. Lord, we just thank you for this bread and this wine and what it reminds us. Lord, we thank you. You're a good, good father who gave his son. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing. You, you weren't just sent, you also volunteered. And we thank you that you gave of yourself that we might live, that we might have eternal life, a complete hope and security in you. But also a means for transformation right now, forgiveness of our sins and the means to live a life your way. We thank you. So as we eat this bread, we recognize your broken body for us. We want to eat the bread. Jesus also passed around the cup of wine. He said, as you drink of this blood, this is my, uh, of this wine, this is my blood poured out for you. This is Jesus' blood poured out for us. Let's drink it together. Let's just spend some time in reflection while this song plays.